todo el mundo. Was really... 1881. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. Today, my guest and co-host is Joel D. Amos. He wrote the short story, Sharing the Fright Together in Rock and Roll Nightmares, Do You Fear Like We Do, the 1970s edition. He's also a member of the Hollywood Critics Association and a film journalist. He runs the popular website, themoviemensch.com. Welcome, Joel. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be here with you. Why, thanks for being here. Um, so first of all, tell the listeners a little bit about your story in Rock and Roll Nightmares, the 70s edition. Well, I've always been fascinated with the idea of, of, of instant success and, and the idea of selling your soul to the devil. And then for this story, I, I wanted to take it a step further. And, you know, they always say, live your life with no regret. Well, what if you sold your soul to the devil? And then you get success and it happens quickly and you have like five songs in the top 10 and you realize I am extremely talented. I write catchy songs and I never, ever had to do what I did when I sold my soul to the devil and how you would live with that. And also the idea that the devil never says when it's time to go, when he will claim your soul. I mean, a lot of people probably think it's when you die. Well, what if the devil decides it's in the middle of a plane flight and there are 30 people on board and this isn't just about you and the devil anymore. And so I was just like, Ooh, okay, I'm going to roll with this and see where we go. Well, um, whose music inspired you or what were you listening to in order to get in the mood for writing that story? Um, Actually, my, my musical styles kind of run the gamut. I, I've DJed, that was another hat I wore for many years, from weddings to clubs to parties. Um, but I, I grew up listening to a lot of like Metallica and Motley Crue, and I loved Huey Lewis and the News and Pat Benatar and Blondie and Joan Jett. And um, I kind of went back to the 70s for this and kind of was really inspired by like Creedence Clearwater Revival. And I kind of pictured like them, like what John Fogarty was kind of this guy. Um, and that's kind of how I, I saw this band in my head. Um, and, and of course, uh, the music of the Stones and the Beatles kind of played into it. And there's 
all these rumors back in the day that the stones sold their soul to the devil. And I kind of worked that kind of weave that into the story about, you know, how they had so many hits during so many, such a short period of time and over decades now. So yeah, and, and also uh, my mother is actually a professional pianist and um, she was probably my first musical idol. Your favorite bands from that era are also some of mine. Like, you know, you mentioned the Stones and of course Led Zeppelin and um, Pink Floyd is another one. Um, mm -hmm. You're in the Pink Floyd concert movie, aren't you? Yes, yes. I have ridiculously <laughs> long curly hair and they timed it perfectly, whoever edited it. It's uh, during Comfortably Numb and when Gilmore sings, I turned to look, but it was gone. I actually turn and look at the camera. So somebody somewhere was like thrilled when they saw that shot. And uh, I was watching MTV one day and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's me. Um, so yeah, I do like I do like Pink Floyd. I, I love Led Zeppelin. I mean, for a long time, I had a rule. And the rule was you cannot change uh, the channel or the song or whatever if it's Led Zeppelin. That's just illegal. That's just that's a crime. Right. <laughs> that's a crime against rock and roll. You gotta <laughs> that finish it. Jailable offense if anyone changes the station when Led Zeppelin comes on. That's just and, and it's remained true to this day. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I liked a lot of music. I mentioned some other people. I also really liked Iron Maiden and Dokken, but I also like kind of punk stuff like the Ramones and Sex Pistols. And then I I have this strange affinity for pop music um, that my wife says sometimes I, I must have the musical taste of a 13 year old girl so um, <laughs> I run all over the place and then I also love the blues like Stevie Ray Vaughan and people like that I just oh I can't get that and yeah, I've been to many gospel brunches those are a blast so I mean like like I said my my tastes just run all over well, you do see a lot of live music. So is there any particular live show that you would say is one of your most memorable? Honestly, uh, there are many. I've seen hundreds of shows, but um, in 2019, I went to Dodger Stadium with my uh, best friend, Nick, to see Paul McCartney. And I knew it was the last day of the tour. And I also knew that Ringo Starr had just celebrated his birthday the day before. So I knew he was in town. And I bet my friend $50 that Ringo Starr would be the special guest. And my friend said, they take that very seriously. They will only reunite for certain things, for charity, for da 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 da. Well, sure enough, the last song on the show, Paul McCartney said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce the oldest friend in the world, Mr. Ringo Starr. And they played so several Beatles songs, and I will never, ever forget it as long as I live. Wow, what a moment. Yeah, that was incredible. I'll never forget. Me and my friend were hugging, jumping up and down <laughs> like we had just won a game show or something. Wow. Well, um, before we move on to our main show, I've got to ask, um, what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? <laughs> Uh, my rock and roll nightmare had to do with a band I formed with a friend in boarding school uh, between high school and college. I did what's called a postgraduate year to try to get into a better school, and it worked. Um, we called ourselves Troubled Youth, and oh, we thought we were we were it, um, but we were only two of us. So we managed to to get our sell ourselves to to, to headline a dance for the school. And we played songs like We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's, Fight for Your Right to Party, um, Louie Louie. 
And um, so we got playing, you know, and after we played, we got the beat and we did kind of a punky version of it. And there were no reply, no applause. It was just quiet. So we played Fight for Your Right to Party. I mean, come on, everybody loves that song. Again, quiet, nothing. And then we played a couple other tracks and same thing. And there was another band that was playing and we just kind of decided that maybe, you know, th this is a nightmare. <laughs> and <laughs> the entire school is watching. And if we want to save any kind of reputation we need to call it a day so um we kept playing in our dorm rooms for us but never played live again oh that's terrible well here you go we are doing something a little different on this episode um rather than interviewing a music related guest we're going to talk about the portrayals of rock stars in horror movies because you and i both love scary movies um, there are a lot of them, but we've narrowed it down to six. We'll be talking about Phantom of the Paradise, Green Room, Queen of the Damned, Rocktober Blood, Suck, and Trick or Treat. Yes, and um, we will start uh, with 1974's uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Um, it is, uh, I'm, I'm shocked how much I, I love Phantom of the Paradise, and uh, that's a shocker, given that there's a kind of a Faustus theme and selling your soul to the devil, even though <laughs> yeah. our, our singer-songwriter isn't quite sure that that's what he's doing, but we know what he's doing. I mean, look at that contract that Paul Williams hands him. Um, um, Andy Williams, uh, who, who is known as a kind of a pop singer, uh, kind of delves into kind of a rock opera-ish feel of music. Um, he stars as less than a savory fellow, is very classic 70s manager, musician, uh, looking out for himself instead of the artists. Uh, but things tend to come back to those who cross the line. And I thought that was a compelling and intriguing aspect, not cheesy at all. Um, I think it's a movie about much more than, than rock and roll and horror. It's about dreams, pursuing dreams, uh, finding the end what we wanted, and maybe it's not exactly what we thought. Um, I thought Williams was amazing. I had no idea that he could act. Um, my mom was a fan of his, and I just so, so I was aware of him. Um, and the music was was firmly '70s, but also strangely never felt dated. Um, and I and I like to say that this is a movie that, that stands the test of time, and and it's a story as as old as rock and roll itself. Uh, what were your impressions? Um, well, I'm a big Brian De Palma fan. Of course, I love, um, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, all of his movies are great, although they do vary quite a bit. I mean, you think of the untouchables and then you look at sisters and you're like, wow, <laughs> did the same director really make these? So, but this one kind of has the kind of a sweet spot in between all of his um, quirks that I love. Um, it's very, very visual. The costumes mm. are incredible. Um, the, the staging, you know, I just love Paul Williams as, um, as Swan is just, he's the perfect evil villain. Uh, William Finley, who's been in a lot of De Palma films, is great as the aspiring starry-eyed singer-songwriter. Yeah, it's just, it, you, like you said, it's, it's a movie that is the Faustian bargain, but it, it updates it into the 70s glam era, and yet it doesn't feel dated at all, and it's a whole lot of fun. I think that there, there were lessons to be gleaned in there, and that, you know, about trusting in yourself and, and believing in yourself and, and never saying no, and I don't know, it just, 
I, I was shocked with how much it resonated with me because actually this was a first time view for me. I'd heard about it a lot. I mean, I used to work at a video store, but I just never watched it. And I was so, so, so glad that it was one of our six movies here because I just, I just loved it. Well, our next film, Green Room, is pretty much the antithesis. Of, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is really the uh, grittiest, most serious film that we'll be talking about today. It's about a punk rock band that becomes trapped in an isolated concert venue after witnessing a violent crime. After what they saw, the band members become targets of a gang of white power skinheads who are hell-bent on eliminating all witnesses. Um, the movie is written and directed by um, Jeremy Saulnier, who really impressed me with an earlier film of his called Blue Ruin. In fact, a few of his movies have colors in the title. I don't know if there's anything to that, but um, he, the themes of violence and revenge kind of run throughout a lot of his movies. And this one is a really brutal ride. Um, I had covered the press junket and they mm -hmm. had interviews in Hollywood's Viper Room, um, which has a sort of a tragic history. It's where the actor and musician River Phoenix died on Halloween in 1993. And then just two months after the Green Room press day, one of its stars, Anton Yelchin, um, he was also an actor and musician, and he died in a freak accident. So it's kind of a weird legacy for a movie that really is so hard hitting. Yeah. Uh, this movie rocked my world. I also did that that junket and and treasured our uh, those what hour and a half, two hours at the at the Viper Room. Um, felt like I needed to pay my respects, but I, I just for me, I, I've had this recurring nightmare that I'm I'm trapped in a situation that I can't get out of. But at the same time, it's not even my fault that I'm there. And so this movie struck a chord with me the first time I saw it. Uh, Patrick Stewart was just so commanding. Um, and when I rewatched it, my, my wife was reading a book and I just, you know, was watching a movie and she, when it was over, she refused to believe that that was Patrick Stewart. I mean, it looked like him. I mean, it looks exactly like him, but the, what he was doing in the movie, she's like, that's not Patrick Stewart. I'm like, yeah. No. He's so villainous in this film. <laughs> that, that's Patrick Stewart. Um, and he's just so commanding and I can see like why he garnered such respect from the people that followed him. I mean, I bought it hook, line and sinker. Um, and Anton Yelchin, he's really just an amazing actor and watching it again just made me realize how much we miss him. And, 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 and also kind of like River Phoenix, like what, what could have been with, with him? And, and I feel like he is the, the actor that, that would have won an Oscar one day. I mean, he is just that good. Um, and I also find it interesting that it's a several years old now, the movie, but it, it sadly is still timely as we continue our, our race balancing beam in America uh, with the groups like the ones portrayed in the green room, feeling a shot in the arm uh, to do what they want after the last events of the last six years. So I feel like it's, it's timely, it's powerful, it's gripping. And as someone who lives in the Pacific Northwest, uh, it had me looking over my shoulder a little bit. <laughs> yeah, those that yeah, it's out in this kind of isolated forest, uh -huh. this concert venue, and I really liked how um, Jeremy Saulnier, who uh, I believe he also wrote the screenplay, he yep. really doesn't have any plot holes. Everything makes sense, like how they get out there, why they can't call for help. You know, it's all all the loose ends are tied together really, really well. 
Yes, and then the use of the green room. I mean, we think about the green room and you know, uh, the Tonight Show, the green room. Oh, I'm in the green room. And, and one would never have thought that the green room would be the source of such horror. Yeah, and the rest of the cast I thought was really good too. Mm -hmm. um, on another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast, um, we talk about real bands in films and we talked about The Runaways and Aaliyah Shawkat was in that film um, and she's barely has any lines, you know, she's one of the band members, but in Green Room, she's one of the band members and she really got, has a lot to do and she's one of the best characters in the film. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I thought that they really made each character realistic, they gave them, you know, enough dimensions to where you care about what's happening to them. Um, there's one scene in particular, or actually it flows into a few different scenes with these attack dogs that the white supremacists oh. have trained to rip out people's throats and the effects are really, really uh, hard hitting in Green Room. Yeah, it's something else. If you have not seen it, and, and from what we've talked about, that sounds appealing to you, I would run and not walk. To check yeah. out Green. Next up, we are going to look at Queen of the Damned, um, which I always thought was a hole in the one from the beginning because I think vampires and rock and roll—it just seemed to go together. It's a no-brainer. Rock all night, party all night, sleep all day. I mean, rock stars are essentially like vampires. So yeah. Um, but I, I, I was a, a fan of Interview with a Vampire. This is kind of a, a loose sequel. I felt like it was a bit like with Stoplight. Oh. And in like Green Room made me miss Mr. Yelchin, Queen of Dam made us miss Aaliyah and um, the potential she had. And the whole idea is, uh, you know, Lestat is as, as a rock star. And, you know, whenever is that a bad thing? Um, and I think it's a, a worthy follow-up to Interview with a Vampire. Uh, although it has a slightly different tone that fits the rock and roll vampires theme um and i think that that those are just two peas in a pod um what, what did you think of it uh well i remember when the movie came out and it was really universally panned pretty much everybody hated it as a fan of the books it it combines um the books the vampire Lestat, and queen of the damned and takes plot elements from both of those um, I remember being somewhat disappointed, so it took me a long time to revisit it, which I did for this show, and I liked it a lot better, you know, the second time around with fewer expectations. I thought Stuart Townsend was really good as Lestat. Yes. I thought all the casting was good. It has a great look to it. I'm not a huge fan of new metal. I don't really like corn all that much, but I have to say for the genre of the music and the visuals that they set up, it all meshed together really well. It did sound like a real band. Mm -hmm. um, and I also thought, like you said, Aaliyah, you know, it's a shame that she passed away before the finishing of the film and sort of like Paul Walker with the Fast and Furious, the last movie, they used his brother to dub in some of his dialogue. And for Aaliyah, they used some of her brother's voice to dub in her dialogue but it didn't feel incomplete. It felt like the movie was exactly what it set out to be. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely did. And it, in some ways it can serve as a tribute to Aaliyah and, and what she was capable of doing. Yeah. And I also liked um, the bits of vampire lore that they took from the books. It did feel pretty true to the books. Um, 
you know, I mean, you can't make two books into one film and have it feel like you've taken every single plot element. So I think they did a good job of paring it down, but still making, giving you that feel of the rock and roll excitement and that immortal band, you know, it, it really was cool. And there's this really great scene in, in Death Valley where Elias, you know, as Akasha, the ancient Egyptian vampire is kind of emulating people in the audience, vampires in the audience. Yeah, I like the Egyptian part too. Like that, that, you know, that, that was a real fascinating part. My daughter right now has heard that there's a career called Egypt, Egyptologist and now that's what she wants <laughs> yeah. to be. So we're, we're all about Egypt in this house. So that, that was oh, yeah. an interesting part of, of that movie too. Our next film is, you know, I think each film is more different from the last. Now this mm -hmm. one is a cult classic from 1984 and it's called Rocktober Blood. Um, even though I'm a lifelong lover of both horror movies and rock music, I hadn't seen this film until now. Um, it's directed by Beverly Sebastian, and it stars her son, Trey Lauren, um, as an unhinged heavy metal singer um, who goes on a gory killing spree and gets executed, but death can't keep the killer rock star down. He comes back from the grave and continues his reign of rock and terror. So uh, what did you think of this film? I will say one thing about this movie. Um, above all else, it really felt like 1984 and, and and I know it was made 1984 and the costumes are 1984 but for how many years now 38 years since this came out uh, so many movies try to establish that 80s feel with just a song and a costume and it just it, you know having lived it it doesn't quite work so this was almost refreshing to me because it was like filmed during that time and the costumes works the music worked uh, the look Book worked, um, and then yeah, and then there's the the, the story, and uh, you know who wasn't a, a fourteen year old boy who looked up to a, a rock star, and you know the idea of what would happen if that rock star wasn't exactly who you thought he was. Um, that that was really kind of an interesting angle for me on this whole story, and I thought the direction by uh, Beverly Sebastian uh, really handled it well. Um, it doesn't necessarily feel dated. The effects feel like their effects from 1984. All right. Um, and don't forget the tan lines on all those uh, oh, yeah. gratuitously naked girls. Yes. Well, there's that aspect too, which is <laughs> also very 80s. Yes, there are many tan lines. And um, it, it just felt like kind of like a shock rock uh, tribute to rock and roll, heavy metal fandom uh, gone horribly wrong. <laughs> I thought it had a great beginning. It really you know, hooks you and gets your attention. But then there's, it just turns into a standard issue slasher throughout mm -hmm. the middle. Mm -hmm. And then it rallies at the end with the rock concert, which I thought was really, really well done. Because back then in the 80s, of course, and, you know, beginning in the 70s with Alice Cooper and all the spectacle on stage. But the 80s really brought it home with bands like Wasp. You know, they had... Mm -hmm girls tied up on stage and Motley Crue and bands like that were very, you know, sexist, I guess, to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. But we had that in um, in Rocktober Blood, but we also have the strong woman singer and she's um, voiced by 
by someone else, um, Susie Major, which I thought was kind of funny too, because the actors, the two main actors, the rock stars, um, male and female are voiced by other people. And the actors just do not look like they would have those voices at all. So that kind of added to a little comedic element to me. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely that that second act is about as formulaic as you can get. I mean, you're being chased by a dead rock star. So let's go to a cabin in the woods. That's going to be a good idea. <laughs> so next up, we have a movie who uh, maybe have one of the best titles uh, could be. The movie is just simply called Suck. Immortality is a theme that runs through vampire movies, and that is no different and suck. Except this time, it's about a rock and roll band that's crisscrossing the Canadian East and American East on a tour who happen to slowly but surely turn into vampires. And uh, it's also a fascinating premise with a pretty cool soundtrack, and the performances I thought were exactly what is required. Uh, especially Jessica Perret. Uh, they find great success as vampires, but it also is at what cost? After all, how does a vampire survive? Killing, that's how. And that'll take a toll on someone. And I thought they kind of showed that a little bit. Um, and I, I was actually extremely impressed by the cameo of Alice Cooper. I mean, he was that character. And I'm actually a little surprised he didn't do more acting, but... Uh, Maybe this was just kind of an extension of himself or his stage persona. Right. And uh, I also thought effective. Iggy Pop was really good too. Yes. Yes. And, and especially him playing kind of the cautious one. I thought that played against type. Like it seems like Iggy Pop is very in your face, but <laughs> right. like his character was not. He was kind of like the moral compass in some ways. Mm -hmm. And it has like the standard, um, vampire you know dracula plot we've got the vampire hunter played by malcolm mcdowell who's always mm -hmm. great i love him in these horror comedies um he plays eddie van helsing <laughs> which just is such an inspired name um yeah it's a lot of fun and the band is called the winners um now to me their music was maybe more lightweight than i would have liked but um you know i thought that the writer, director, star, um, Rob, Rob Staff, Stafniak, I hope I'm not butchering that. He took on a lot and he did a great job with all the different elements. Um, you know, it's just so many actors, so many setups. Um, there's um, comedy, there's drama, there's different locations. They've got crowds, they've got, you know, some quiet one-on-one -on -one scenes. There's blood. I mean, so much to keep all those balls in the air. I think he did a really great job. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, and I, and I, again, this one, this was a, a new view for me and um, I just thought it held together pretty well. And, and I think it stands the test of time. I think that it, there's nothing in it really that dates it. I think if you're, you're into this kind of uh, film, the genre, these types of, of stories that suck is going to be kind of a pleasant surprise for you. And uh, especially if you like rock and roll and, you know, the idea of sleeping in a van or here in this case, a Hearst, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also there's, there's some Easter eggs for fans of rock music. Um, oh, big time. 
there's really some fun stuff. Like they have the band walking across the street, like the Beatles yes. and Abbey Road, and they've got, um, you know, born in the USA. With, right, born in the USA, and there's um, T-Rex, Electric Warrior. The right. cover of that album is, you know, acted out on film. So it's a whole lot of fun, especially if you're not into horror movies per se. This is more of a comedy. So. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was great. Um, now we're going to go to a real horror movie with the mm -hmm. <laughs> back to the 80s again. The 80s did ring in a slew of heavy metal and horror movies. Um, Trick or Treat is one of the better ones, maybe because it never really takes itself too seriously, even though it's um, not a comedy exactly. It does have that kind of lightweight 80s feel to it. It features rock gods Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne in cameo roles. And it's about a bullied teenage headbanger named Eddie. Uh, he's played by TV actor Mark Price, and he gets a hold of a mysterious demo record by a newly dead rocker played by a sol solid gold dancer by the name of Tony Fields. Um, so needless to say, horror and heavy metal ensue. And of course, it's Halloween night. Yes. Yes. And at the stroke of midnight, fate will rear its ugly head, or will it? <laughs> um yeah this this was also uh, again very very uh kind of fun to go back in time and uh in 1984 uh, when uh, around when this came out i i was kind of listening to the same kind of music and i was not quite that kid but i was definitely in my room listening to this music and i loved how it played on that i'm not sure if it happened before but when the Beatles, people talked about playing the record backwards and it would say, Paul is dead. Right. Um, so people started playing the records backwards and ruining their needles and their record players. Um, but I like the idea that that was incorporated. And I also like the idea that, that there's this connection between that kind of heavy metal and the occult and the dead and the undead. And um, I thought that was kind of, uh, it just fed into the whole thing and I could see like a like a Molly crew or somebody being very inspired by something like this. It's it's a bit formulaic. Um, it's a bit predictable, um, but it, it's it grabs you. Um, I won't want to give it away, but how things are kind of resolved, I actually was very surprised. I thought that worked real well. And Mark Price is an actor uh, really nailed the part, and he had kind of an arc. And it's funny because his face is going to drive you nuts because that face was everywhere in the 80s. I mean, he was All supporting right. roles. Um, he played kind of like the geeky guy on Family Ties. And then so he seemed to be everywhere. And so it was neat to see him play a metalhead and with utter devotion to this rocker. And also the idea of like, they say it's best not to meet your idols. Well, I think this whole movie makes that point. <laughs> All right. Um, and the music, too, has um, <clears throat> a certain amount of gravitas. The soundtrack was composed by Fastway. I remember their yeah. video being on heavy rotation back then. Um, it was the supergroup featuring Motorhead's Fast Eddie Clark. And then also, like I said, having Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne in the film added to its uh, allure. I love that Ozzy Osbourne, he plays against type for sure on this one. And I think he had a lot of fun doing it. That's our six movies. And um, for those listening, if you haven't watched all or any of these, definitely check them all out. We 
I, I'd say we recommend all of them, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are what they are. And if you're fans of this genre and this type of music and you haven't seen them, then definitely toss it into your library because you'll be glad you did it. If nothing else, some of these are, are like a trip in a time machine and others like Green Room uh, will rock your world. This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at rock and roll nightmares books. That's B-O-O-K-S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me. And until next time. <laughs>